Welcome to the Deconstructed Woman Podcast, a podcast about breaking down barriers between women, exploring and sharing perspectives of each individual woman's experience, and discovering what we have in common and what makes us different. Hosted by Elisa Marie and Joji. Welcome back to the next episode of the Deconstructed Woman Podcast. So the topic for today is the queen bee uh, kind of syndrome, if you will. And it's something that I wasn't as familiar with until Joji and I started talking about this. Uh, Joji, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially this concept is when women who are in upper uh, positions or CEOs or, you know, in the hierarchy, kind of higher in the hierarchy are saying that they you know they they got there by the work that they did and whatnot and so the response and the approach that they have to those below them and their subordinates is one of sometimes described as abrasive or difficult to interact with and it's this concept of you know people really just kind of stepping on others to get to the top. And so again, it's an interesting topic that I wasn't as familiar with, but as I started to kind of reflect, I'm like, I've definitely seen this play out in different jobs and positions that I've had and different ways that I have interacted in the workforce. And so Joji, let's kind of start off with what, what has been your experience and how, how do you view this, um, this particular syndrome, if you will? Yeah. And I just want to uh, clarify for the listeners that, you know, when I was thinking about it, Queen Bee really is um, a phrase that's become associated with the workplace. Whereas I think like the movie Mean Girls um, really describes the same kind of behavior, but it's not in a work environment. So that's probably within um, women, uh, you know, probably high school or a college or like non-work environment. So similar concept where you're mean to other pe- other women um, that you're relating to, but we're really focused in this conversation about um, the queen bee and what happens in the workplace. So being the fact that I've worked, you know, most of my career in healthcare only, I, it's something that's very, very commonly spoken about or seen because um, in healthcare, especially in the nursing environment, I've heard a lot of older nurses, you know, who might have been trained, um, you know, my best friend is a nurse and um, uh, she would say, yes, you know, the older nurses would eat their young. And so it has a lot to do with the fact that you almost make them go through their paces, earn their stripes, you know, that kind of a thing. And they're hard on it. Now, in, you know, in the article, there's a blog that I read by Meredith Brandt, and she talks about the fact that, you know, some of the reasoning for this is that women are in female, I'm sorry, male dominated environments. And once a woman gets a position or title, you know, she's holding on to that because she had to fight to have that. But what's ironic is, is that in healthcare, healthcare is, has been, it continues to be, you know, mostly a female dominated environment. And so it's not male dominated per se, but interestingly enough, the uh, the the titled roles or the executive roles still tend to be men, even though most of the workers that report to them are female. And so there are a lot of women in middle management in healthcare. It's just that you don't see them 
move into the executive roles as quickly, unless it's more of a female role, like a chief nursing officer is going to be a female, but the president of a hospital is going to be a male, or the chief operating officer is going to be a male. Um, and so the chief nursing officers tends to be more of a female role. And so it's sort of interesting to me that within healthcare, even though it is female dominated, you still see some of that behavior. But I think it has a lot to do with who rises to the top and where do women sort of hit that glass ceiling in healthcare. And so it, it is sort of different. Um, I did talk to one of my friends, who's also my colorist, Kathy, who is in the beauty world. And I asked her, you know, in the beauty world, which is a lot of women, you know, what do you see there? Are women more like the queen bee? Because uh, I just expected them to be. And she said, no, she said, you know, as she was developing her career as a colorist and in the beauty you know, arena that most of the women she interacted with were helping her and mentoring her and teaching her new techniques and, and things like that. And I found that to be really, really interesting and different because I would have not imagined that. And so I think that there's where the irony lies. Um, if it is a female dominated area and the higher, and maybe there's no hierarchy because I don't know what the hierarchy is in, um, you know, Kathy owns her own business and is a colorist in her own salon versus like working for a corporate environment in the beauty industry, like maybe in New York or somewhere where the fashion is more corporate uh, versus, you know, small business or things like that. So I don't really know, but I found that to be interesting. What are your thoughts, um, Alyssa, on this whole conversation? Yeah, I think that it really, it comes down to, and I think that part of it is because sometimes it could just be personality. So somebody gets to the top and they think, you know, I've, I've worked so hard. I, um, I got here by the, you know, the straps of my boots. And so therefore, you know, I'm not going to let people just kind of walk up to this point or to get close, touchable or whatever. And I think that that comes with a certain type of personality. But I think that there's also the opposite of that is, you know, I've got here and I want to help other people get here as well. And and so I've kind of seen both in my own experiences. Um, I think that I try to encompass the latter and try to mentor people and get them because I don't really feel threatened by other people doing well. I don't, you know, to me, it's like, okay, you know, to get to this point, I have accomplished a lot. My goal is not to stomp on people to get higher. My goal is to collaboratively create so that if an upper position were to open up, I would want people to, you know, accept me in that role, whatever that may look like. And, and so I think that that's something that I try to encompass. But I think that a lot of times, you know, in a, a very highly competitive field, I could definitely see, um, so maybe that's in the business world or, you know, in, in other settings or other professions where you got to the top and now you almost have to protect that. Um, but, you know, that stepping on other people, it just, it seems like it's a, a not the best way to go because you're burning a lot of bridges as well. Yeah, definitely. And I do think that burning a lot of bridges um, you know, is something that does commonly happen in these situations and nobody wants to work for these, you know, women. And um, I feel really bad about it, but I have said plenty of times I would always prefer to work for a male leader 
versus a female leader based on the experiences I've had in my career. But at the same time, I prefer to lead women instead of men. And, you know, I've had to stop and think about that because to me, reporting to a man is just a very straightforward business relationship. Their communication style is not catty or um, you know, passive aggressive, they just basically say what needs to be done. Whereas with the female leaders, whether it was intended or not, it feels very personal. And it, it is more hurtful to me versus I don't think men communicate the same way. But interestingly enough, I don't necessarily look to add men on my team. I much prefer to lead women because I do want to mentor them. So exactly what you're saying. And I always tell all people that I, you know, report to me and mostly they have been females is that, you know, I'm not afraid of you getting, taking my job because that just opens me up to take another job. Like it's not, I believe in abundance and I believe that, you know, if, I have outgrown this position, that that just means that I've got somewhere else to go. I've never seen it as a threat. I've seen it as great. Now you can take over this and I can free up myself to do something, you know, next in line for me. And so there isn't this idea of scarcity. And but what I've seen a lot of women talk to me about is, you know, female leaders um, who take credit for their work. And that's really heart hurtful to them. Like, why can't they just give credit where credit is due, like why? And, um, and I think that's the kind of behavior or, you know, calling them out in a meeting where um, it, they don't even know all the facts, but they're blaming somebody else and they don't, they're not as likely to take responsibility for their management style or, you know, um, accountability to the individual that needs to be held accountable. The other thing I've also heard about is just friendships in work situations where the manager might be less likely to hold their friends accountable, but will hold other people accountable for things that they may or may not have done. Those are all different sort of different variations of how the queen bee sort of plays out in the workplace. And I don't know if you can relate to any of that, um, but that is something that um, that I've heard about from other colleagues of mine uh, where we may report to other leaders or, you know, when we discuss, you know, how is it challenging to sort of navigate, you know, work relationships? These are the kinds of things that come up. Have you experienced any of that in your career or heard of that before? Yeah, I mean, I think specifically, um, you know, the work relationships and again, you, you know, we female friendships and how those formulate and how they look. And, and I think that those that does play a role in especially if you move up into a supervisory position, or, you know, again, kind of moving up in that hierarchy ranking. Um, it, it changes the dynamics. And, and sometimes you're like, oh, I, I wish I would have made different choices or kind of kept things professional. But I think that those personal relationships can also uh, provide you a space to have conflict, but to be able to resolve it in a professional manner. Um, and I, I think that that is a sign of maturity of being able to say, okay, I don't agree with this individual whom I have a personal relationship, but professionally we have to kind of, you know, find uh, some sort of resolution. And I think that there, there is a maturity that goes into being able to say, you know, I, I care about you personally, but professionally I don't agree. Um, and I think that that's, those are hard conversations to have. And I think that sometimes people go in the direction of, you know what, I, I'm above you. And so what I say goes, and I'm not going to consider 
your opinion or your thoughts any further. And I think that that, again, does a disservice because it's really undermining the the individual who's trying to just express themselves. And I, I think that that probably filters into why some people don't say things in the workplace. So I think that there's a lot of workplace dynamics that play into this, but a lot of times, you know, if you have somebody above you, a superior who is not going to listen to you, I think that that really does influence your your ability to have a voice and to feel heard and to do well in the position. So it's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy where you have this upper level person who has domineered the, you know, that specific space. And now, you know, the people below them are just kind of either burning out or quitting or whatever the circumstances. And then they keep their position because there isn't anybody to kind of come up uh, under them after that. And so I I think that all of that kind of plays into the dynamics of the queen bee. And I was just stepping back and thinking about, you know, I've worked in, um, several what I would consider sort of toxic work environments and uh, and I was contrasting them by like male and female leadership and how it works and I will definitely say that in the female type uh, relate if the female was a leader in the environment the toxicity is usually that individual and their leadership style whether it's communication or um passing judgment or blame or that kind of thing. And I don't want to ever represent that this doesn't happen under male leadership because it does. But in my mind, what the male leadership tends to be is more of a the um, a harassment and definitely sort of part of the me too. You know, um, I've never actually worked for a man that was sexually harassing me or anything like that. But there is a harassment form to it is what I've seen and heard about. Um, But at the same time, in a sales environment, I've seen the male leadership really be aggressive in sales, like they're out for number one, they're going to get, you know, sort of that number sale, number one salesperson kind of a thing. And it's very competitive. I don't see the competitive competitiveness in a female work environment, um, unless it's, you know, um, you know, staying at the top or continuing to move and climb in, you know, to the top. And I will say that that was one of the things that I did not like in the um, book Lean In there. um, And what she was like an executive in Facebook or something. I can't remember her name. Um, And, you know, I, I liked some of that book, but I didn't like the other parts of it because it almost felt like women who were going to rise in the ranks weren't leaning in enough. And I was just like, what does that mean? Leaning in those of us who want to be in executive leadership, we are working the way we know how to work. We are balancing different parts of our life. Um, And so it almost felt like women don't lean in as much as a man leans in. And that just rubbed me the wrong way in terms of, you know, a woman saying that a woman should be leaning in more at the cost of what, you know, at the cost of, you know, their family, their, you know, relationship with their partner, like what? And so maybe I didn't, you know, maybe my bias interfered with that. But that is something that I just recall as we're talking like that got under my skin because it felt like once again, we as women weren't working hard enough in the right ways to prove ourselves as a leader. And I I always and I always will disagree with that because anyone who wants to move towards that is working as hard as they can and making realistic compromises in their other life parts um, because there's a balance and that balance is really hard. And so um, 
you know, I guess I just reacted to that conversation. So I don't even remember what you asked me. I just got sidetracked on that bit, but um, <laughs> I hope it relates to what you asked me. No, it did. It did. And it's interesting because like, yeah, I was, I was sitting right here going along and like, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's another piece of the puzzle um, as we're, you know, kind of the name of our podcast is a deconstructed woman and we're kind of deep, but you know, that I think that that's part of it is that, you know, a lot of times women who are in these upper positions, they are sacrificing other things. There are other things that are going to the wayside. And so there may be that, that some of that comes out of that resentment that they can't, you know, do it all and had to give in that, you know, in that position and and what they're doing. And so that does become a point of contention for them. And maybe they take that out on other people. I mean, all of these things factor into why this, you know, this phenomenon occurs. But I think that a lot of times there is kind of these discussions about leaning in or, you know, oh, well, you have to just work harder or whatever it is. But I don't think those are realistic goals. I think that that life work balance should be a real thing. Um, but you know, very little discussion of that is really had. And, and so I, I completely understood where you're going. Um, and I think that it relates to, to this concept. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've also talked about self-acceptance and, and things like that. And I think that's part of the discussion too. I know that, you know, in my mind, I've stepped away from an executive role at this point because it has forced me to look at what are the priorities in my life. And so um, I've shared before that my husband is retired. And so I had an executive opportunity come to me, but it would have required me to either be away from home for a long time um, during the day and uh, or relocate. And when I talked to my husband about it, he said, I'm not at the place in my life where I want either one of those scenarios to happen. And so how does, you know, someone who has wanted to be an executive most of her career said, my, my husband is so important to me right now, more important than an executive role. Um, And then also getting back into this whole idea of where do I draw the line between my goals and what I want and what my partner wants for me. And these are very difficult conversations. But at that time, I decided that to remain invested in my marriage, these are things that I have to do. I've had friends who've said to me, you know, is that something that challenges what you want for yourself? And uh, anybody who knows me is somebody that knows that, you know, I think about these things very deeply. Um, And I've just gotten to a place where I realize that, especially as a divorced woman um, that remarried, that a marriage to me and that partnership is truly a partnership. I wanted a partnership. And if I have a partnership now, but yet there's this other carrot out there that could give me things, but that's going to eventually wear down this partnership because either I'm working 14 hours a day because I have to travel two hours to work, or you know I uh, put a lot of pressure on my partner to relocate because that's gonna help me not have that commute. But realistically, as an executive, you are gonna be focused on work 14 hours a day 
at the end of that conversation, I just thought to myself, you know, that's not what I want to be. And do I see that I could have become a queen bee, which would go against who I am as a person and as a human, because now I've got to justify this position and I'm working all these hours, whether it's wearing on my marriage, and then I bring that to work and I want people to perform at the level I expect them to because of everything I've sacrificed. Now I can see why that queen bee happens because I myself could see that happening to myself and I would hate myself and I would resent myself ultimately, but I would take it out on my employees, I think. And boy, I don't think I made that connection until right now. So once again, I'm sort of pouring out my soul here. And is that what happens? Is that how women become that because they feel like they've sacrificed a lot and they're missing out on their children or their partner um, or their social activities that they might be able to do if they had less of a busy career? I don't know. I mean, I could see that happening, though I think I made the decision I made because that's too high of a cost for me. But people, I have talked to my close friends who have said, you know, I know I didn't think you'd sell out on your dream and I don't see it as selling out, but I definitely see that as a compromise. And that's something that I accept. Um, but it's been hard for some of my friends to uh, and they bring it back to me. Even my daughter, you know, will bring it back to me and say, but mom, you've always wanted to do this. And it's like, yeah, but as I get older, there are different priorities in my life and you can't have it all. And this is a sign of my accepting that I can't have it all. This is this is life and this is negotiating life on life's terms. And, um, you know, does it make me any less of a career person? Because I've realized that right now I probably have less time with my husband because of how much older than he is than I am than I can have in my career. And, you know, if I get to 65 and I realize that I still haven't gotten to where I wanted, well, those are the choices I've made. And that's the natural consequence of decisions I made fully engaged with what I had to choose between. And so uh, I'm not a hero in any way. I'm just saying that being thoughtful and being understanding of what I need to compromise and not wanting to be that person who resents people around them. I don't ever, that's too high of a cost for whatever my goal is. Um, I don't know if that sounds crazy, but that's, it helped me put those pieces together right now. Um, and I've told you that I'm an out loud thinker. And so that's a conclusion I just reached. Like that's a, that's a good choice. That justifies why I didn't make that decision because uh, I would probably hate myself the most if I became something I don't believe in. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the, the idea is that you have to be true to yourself. And, and I think that that does, I think that we've kind of, I don't know if we fully covered it, but I, I think that that definitely plays into what does happen. And I think that there's probably another piece of it, uh, or maybe a couple pieces that we haven't fully covered. Um, and it, it goes back to what you said at the beginning. Um, you know, you kind of identify that there's, there, we're talking about in the workplace, but I think in general, um, sometimes women can be very mean to other women. And it really doesn't come out of, you know, there, there's something there, whether it be that resentment or jealousy, um, there's just a lot of things that can occur. And I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure where that comes from. Um, I think that might, like I said, might be a, another episode at some other time um, to just kind of process that because I, I really do think that there are times where women are just, you know, whether they don't respect other women or what it is, but there's something that happens and kind of those interactions that is, is kind of a, a phenomenon in and of itself. And I do, before we close out, the one thing I also wanted to mention 
um, is that I, I and I want to put a warning out there to all our, our listeners, because I feel like, you know, what is the legacy that we're teaching our children as being women in management positions? I, I worked with a woman um, and I say this and it'll all come together is that, you know, what is she teaching her her daughters? Um, and she was a, 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 a mid-level manager who was not easy to work with and gave herself a lot of um, benefits as being a manager would leave early, but wouldn't let her staff have any flexibility in their own childcare arrangements or whatever. And I had heard of an interaction that, you know, she had with her daughters with another one of her subordinates and her children, her daughters were, were many queen bees. And the way that they were talking about the way that they expressed that was of being critical of other young girls. And we're talking about five and seven year old children. And um, her daughters were calling other children ugly and fat. And this really upset um, my friend who um, was had her children with these other children um, in a larger play group is kind of a scenario. And it made me stop and think and say, you know what, mean girls and queen bees are not born, they're shaped. And I think as moms, we need to be cognizant of the fact that our kids are sponges and that you may not recognize that that's bad behavior, but please understand that you are transferring that information to your children. And there is not a five-year-old or a seven-year-old that naturally knows, you know, was born with the world, the, the concept of fat or ugly in their mind. And that that came from somewhere. And um, it really made me sad that we have female leaders out there, whether you're an executive or a middle management person or a new brand new supervisor that somehow or other is conditioning their children to know that that is even a concept and that we're raising queen bees or mean girls. So I just um, wanted to share that because this is more about general life, I think, and not about the workplace. But in that example, both were involved. And I know you have some daughters, um, Alyssa, how does that affect you as we close out? Yeah, I mean, I think that it, you know, it just, I, I could just say ditto, because um, at the end of the day, really just recognizing that that's, you know, that we are setting that precedent and how we interact with um, people around us. And I, I think of like, I, I don't know if it was my parents or somebody had said it, but they always say like, always say hello and always, you know, be kind to those like that are, you know, um, like the janitorial staff or somebody who's helping you um, at the cashier, like always just being kind to other people because you never know how that's going to pan out. So like that person in a higher level position. Um, and so I've always taken that with a, you know, for me, that's my approach. Anybody that I interact with, regardless of their rank, uh, they are just as important. And I respect all of them because I think that that's the way to be. That's that's what I was taught and that's what I hope to teach my children. So I think that those are important ways that we we kind of remove or get away from that idea of, you know, mean girls or queen bees. And that's, that's the movement that we're trying to make. And I think that if everybody could just be kinder, <clears throat> you know, that would be, that would be a great thing for the world. But, uh, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to 
at least that's what I'm trying to do with my girls and my son as well and just create kind people and put them out there and hopefully they do the same and and the world becomes a better place I agree 100%. And the only thing I'll say too is, is that for you that have young children, you also never know the path your kids are going to take. And so, you know, before you judge another family, you have to, you, I will tell you, I mean, your children will not be exactly what you want them to be, whether they make different personal choices, professional choices. And so some of that judgment lives in the fact that you assume your kids are perfect and they will always be perfect and you will always agree with their choices. And I'm here to tell you, as I look back on my, my daughter and her friends, you know, some people have done well, some people have not done well, and their families are struggling as a result of it. And so if you, if you realize that that's out of your control, maybe it makes you a little bit more, you know, tolerant of other people and that kindness can take place because you can only be judgmental when you assume everything is going to go as you want it to go. So anyway, thank you so much to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in today. And um, we appreciate you listening. Always feel free to reach out to us um, through our email at thedeconstructedwoman at gmail.com and to be a part of our Facebook page and also our TikTok uh, which is also a part of our, our sort of group of uh, Deconstructed Women um, series. And so thank you for listening and we'll sign off for today. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast, The Deconstructed Woman. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends, rate this episode, or subscribe to be notified of all new content. We want to hear from you, our listener. Do you have thoughts on the discussions we're having, want to share topic suggestions, or want to join us for a topic that you're passionate about? Contact us at our email address, thedeconstructedwoman at gmail.com. Thank you.